What a great weekend, Resurrection Sunday 2022. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I hope that's what you said from home. If this was a room full of people, I'm sure you would have screamed it out. But we are so excited to talk about the resurrection story. And there's a variety of ways that you can approach the resurrection story. You could look at it from the angle of God's love for us, that he would send his only son as a punishment for our sins, and he would die a gruesome death. You could look at how now there's a path for eternity thanks to the perfect God making a, a way for the imperfect person, you and me, us flawed humans, now get to spend eternity with God. You could look at it from the angle of sacrifice of Jesus, that he would walk through pain and torment and, and mockery of the cross for you and for me. Or you can look at it from the angle of hope. We can look at it, the resurrection is ultimately the symbol of hope and it signifies for us the conquering of death and now that death no longer has its sting on us. But I spent some time pouring over these passages, spending time in prayer and saying, Lord, what do you have for this body? Searching for what he has for us today. And I want to look at the story of the resurrection. And I want to look at the, and the incredible power of God that's throughout this whole story. And the incredible power and love that God pours out for us. And today we're going to talk about the power of getting out of the tomb. And it's amazing. We see uh, that so many of us, we, we can really just look at it and we can say, okay, I understand that God loves me. Okay, I, I understand that Jesus sacrificed for us. We understand hope, but sometimes we can forget the incredible power of the God that we serve. And in the resurrection story, power is throughout of it. And I want to remember, and I want us to reflect on that we serve a powerful God that has made a way for us when there was no way. So today, we're going to talk about this because many of us need to hear about hear this. You know, we came off of two tough years. I know within our body, there's medical issues that we're dealing with. There's family members who are dealing with medical issues. There's family members who have fallen wayward and that we're praying urgently for. You know, that for some, some of us, we're we might be searching for jobs and not sure what the future looks like and what we're supposed to do next. There's some of us, I believe, that we might be in a season where we're losing hope in some areas of our lives. And on this Resurrection Sunday, we need to be reminded of the power of God to raise Jesus out of the tomb. And He's the same yesterday as He is today, and He will be tomorrow. And we now live this resurrected life because of the power of God. Now, when I think about power, I think about one thing. If you were a child in the 90s, you may have experienced this thing called the power team. I don't know if anybody has gone to the power team. If you have not gone to the power team, you are in for a treat. Now, one of the things is that this is one of the most amazing displays of power that I have ever witnessed. And, and when I think about the power team, I think of, of course, the word power. And this is a group of power lifters Obviously, men just a little bit bigger than me, but not much, but a little bit bigger than me. And they would do these crazy feats of strength all in Jesus' name. It was incredible. Think about 13-year-old Kurt sitting there in a church, and these guys came in these leotards and these, and these cut-off shirts, bandanas, and they would do things like they would, uh, they, would, they would use their elbow and their heads, and they would bust through like 30 bricks. And then they would light the bricks on fire and then they would do it again. It's incredible. They would, they would do these things where they would take these iron rods and they would bend them over their head and they would bend it over each other's backs. And then they would take those, you know those hot, remember those pink hot water uh, balloons 
They, they would blow those up until they exploded. They had to wear literally goggles and air protection because I guess it's insanely dangerous. I think all of this is dangerous, but that one in particular was dangerous. They, they would take phone books. Now, for those who are young watching that, they used to, you know, write down everyone's phone number and address, and they would put the whole town's phone book. And they'd take a found phone book, and they would rip it in half with their bare hands, all in the name of Jesus. Now, as you can imagine, 13-year-old Kurt's mind was absolutely blown as I was watching this. And I will, if the power team is ever in the Pacific Northwest, I say church trip to go watch it. Even if you're an adult, you're going to be amazed. But when you think about this, I want you to think about the most powerful thing in the world that you could think of. You could think of earthquakes. You know, I'm terrified of earthquakes. The whole earth begins to shake around us and whole cities and buildings can be destroyed. You can look at fire, you know, as it's able to burn a whole forest in just a matter of minutes. You could look at tornadoes or tsunamis or avalanches or whatever you want to think of. And it fails in comparison to the power of God displayed through the story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And throughout the story of this death and resurrection, there are these important people who play these significant roles within the greater narrative and are experiencing God's power firsthand. And so I want us to to just take a moment and I want us to put ourselves in their shoes or I guess in this case, it would probably be in their sandals. And and I want us to just think about how we are to learn about how we are to live out our faith in light of this story. Now, when you think of these witnesses, when you think of the disciples, when you think of the followers of Jesus, we all have hindsight, right? We all know how the story ends. We all know the good news. But the events surrounding Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection may be familiar to us. But you can easily imagine the confusion and the despair that was taking place amongst the witnesses and the disciples. It's not clear what they were exactly expecting, but what happened was most certainly not what they had expected to happen. But you place yourself in the sandals of these witnesses. You place yourself in those moments. And you see those who were following this Rabbi Jesus, the one who put their faith in him as the Messiah, The one who knew for generations your people had been waiting for this man. Who had had the prophecies. Who who had seek to understand. Who who were waiting and watching for it to unfold. And to see it all unfold like this must have led to confusion and despair. Jesus is handed over. He's arrested. He's charged. He's sentenced with the worst punishment that any criminal could have been given. He's not just sentenced to death, he's sentenced to crucifixion. He's sentenced to a form of torture and execution that is the worst of the worst. He's mocked and he's flogged and he's forced to carry his cross even before he gets to the execution point. And then he's hanging on the cross. He's wasting away in pain. He's dying by limb by limb, letting out life drop by drop of his blood. A long, painful death that he died for you and for me. And can you imagine being one of the disciples, one of the witnesses at this moment? One who who believed this message, had placed his hope in, in him and that he was the Messiah, that he was the King, that he was the Deliverer, that he was the Christ, the one that you had heard about for generations, the one that you had put your whole hope in, and now he's dead. And we see this. What we see as we pick up the story here is that in the next few days, amidst all the confusion, 
all the questions, all the despair, all the fear, we see this. We see God's power moving in mighty ways to fulfill on the prophecy, to make a way when there was no way, to make a way for you and for me and for his disciples to be forgiven and eternity meets earth in a mighty way. So we're going to look at Luke's uh, account of this. And we're going to start at Luke 23, verse 44. It was now about noon, and the darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Now imagine being a disciple, witnessing this, questioning how God was going to pull through. And probably been a, a kind of a loss of words. You probably would have been despair. There would have been a loss of direction. I'm not even sure what to do. And Jesus' followers and the disciples were trying to hang on to hope and search for God in the midst of all of this. And for many of us, we face life circumstances. And we find things that are just seem insurmountable, much like the disciples probably felt. And we realize this, that we are faced with life situations and challenges that we don't know what to do with. But here, the disciples, the man they loved, the man they were following, the Messiah was killed in the lowest way possible. Yet even in the lowest moments, God's power was being made known through the story. So your witnesses, you're standing there, you're taking it all in, and the time is about noon. Now, what do we know about noon? Well, obviously, we know that the sun is at its peak. This is the brightest part of the day. You know, even here in the Northwest, at noon, even on the rainiest days, when there's clouds, there's at least light shining through. There's at least some brightness. There's at least not pitch black. But we're, we're not talking about the northwest here. We're, we're talking about in Jerusalem. And so you look at this. From noon to three, the day is dark. And the scriptures allude to three hours of sudden and supernatural darkness. A matter of fact, it's so powerful that the powerful that, that, that this display changes the heart of one man. We see this. That there's a centurion, right? He's part of the crucifixion. He's, he's part of the team. And he comes to this amazing realization the moment that this happens. And Luke tells us in the very next line, in verse 47, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. Now, darkness in the scripture, there can be kind of often be used in two ways. One, it can be this display of evil, of course. And it also can be this display of God's judgment. And so if you take these two streams of meaning, if you take these two thoughts, you can see the significance of the darkness that's taking place here between noon and three. We see that the death of Jesus marks this darkness. And like we see in some of the areas of our lives, the disciples must have thought that apparently Evil had won. Evil was victorious. But what we see is that on the cross, the power of God is now taking place. In this moment, Jesus was experiencing the fierce judgment of God the Father against sin. Even in the darkest moments, when we don't see God working, God is working things out because of his deep love for you and for me and for all of us. And Jesus was willing to be the sacrifice. And all the wrath and punishment that was deserved of the disciples and us and all of humanity was now concentrated on Jesus in these hours. And the light of the world was experiencing darkness 
that we all deserved. Now, at the same time, the disciples would have been witnessing or at least hearing about another powerful moment that's taking place at the same time. So the second half of Luke 23, 45, it tells us that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, Mark and Matthew, they, they describe it as the, it was torn in two from top to bottom, completely torn in two, completely two halves now. So what we see is that there's clearly this move from God, this supernatural thing happens, this powerful moment that God rips this, uh, this curtain in two. Now, this is one of my favorite lines in the Bible. Because it's just one, one line. But there is so much significance to this line that we cannot miss it. The tabernacle and the temple, there were these series of curtains, right? All these series of curtains would block uh, us from going into the innermost room of the tabernacle and the t- temple. Into the holies of holies. The most holy place that you could go. Now the curtains or the veil served to prohibit people from seeing or accessing God. It contained the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And this is no joke. There was even a gold-plated olive wood cherubim guarding the access to God's presence to symbolize the Garden of Eden. This was a no joke place. No one was allowed to to enter except for the high priest, and that was only once a year. And the Holy of Holies was a place where heaven and earth came together. And now in this moment that Jesus dies, In this darkness, as darkness falls, what do we see? God and the power of God brings heaven down to earth in a mighty way. And now we get to access God in a whole new way. Even in the darkness, God's power is shining through. And God's power tears this incredibly planned, incredibly detailed, hung with golden class, thick curtain from top to bottom, torn in half and one of the most symbolic things that has ever happened on earth and in this moment the death of christ makes a new way for us to access god it's now open and we're no longer kept at a distance but now we can run freely to god the father and throughout the story of the resurrection god is powerfully making a way for us he desires to be in relationship with us he desires to be in close relationship with us And through his power, through his work, through Jesus as the sacrifice, he tears the curtain to demonstrate that access has changed. And let's keep reading because there's another lesser part of the story, of the resurrection story that is so uh, vitally important for us to understand. Let's put ourselves in the sandals of Joseph. Luke 23, verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. Now the burial of Jesus can be an afterthought when you think about it, but it's actually an integral part to the resurrection story. And what we find is that Joseph had to step out in courage in response to what God was doing. The bodies of executed criminals weren't treated very nicely. You know, there wasn't much respect for them from the Roman guards. And so they were most often either thrown into a grave or thrown into a mass grave, or sometimes they would just let the animals take care of the body. 
And so we see this, that Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the council, the group that had called for Jesus' death. But we see that Luke describes him as a good and upright man who had not consented to the decisions and the actions of the council. So Luke says, Joseph, the upright man, what does it say that he was doing? It says this, he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And we learn something powerful in this. We put ourselves in the sandals of Joseph. Now this is a position that we are to take as disciples. Joseph serves as an example for us. We should all be waiting on the kingdom of God, eagerly searching, eagerly waiting, eagerly wondering what God's going to do and looking for the kingdom of God to move. In a time when people weren't sure what God was doing, in a time when God was moving and setting things up, it was still unclear what was really going on. In a time where God, with his infinite power and wisdom, was making a way for you and for me, we see this. Joseph stepped out in courage and loyalty to Jesus. He didn't have to, but he goes to Pilate, and and it's a brave thing to do, and he asked for the body to give it a proper burial. He wanted to see that Jesus got a proper burial. And in response to the mighty power of God, in response to his love and loyalty to Jesus, and in response to the kingdom of God advancing, Joseph steps out in courage. And like us, sometimes we respond to the power of God, and we're called to respond to the power of God in courage and in faith. A simple step that was so significant to the story. Sometimes, without even knowing it, without even knowing how it's going to turn out, we experience God's power, and what we're called to is just to be faithful. And Luke is now going to give us an account of the famous part of the resurrection story. So let's jump in there. Luke 24, 1-8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. This is yet another moment, a moment in time where heaven and earth meet in a powerful way, where time meets eternity. And as we look at this, as we put ourselves in the sandals of Mary and Mary Magdalene, as Matthew tells us that's who the women were, these women would have been followers of Jesus. And we have to remember that this is a time for them of much confusion and emotion. And these were women that were disciples who had put all their their confidence and all their hope and all their faith into the Messiah, this, this, this deliverer, this king, this Christ. And we see that now for them, they think it's over. He's dead. And we may not be able to fully understand or fully appreciate the surprise that they must have been feeling and felt. They hadn't been preparing for this moment all their life. They weren't like us. They didn't have Easter baskets and egg hunts and Sunday, uh, Sunday uh, Easter dinner. They would have not had this. They had simply prepared spices to do this. They would make sure that there was a proper burial tradition that took place for the man that they loved, that they cared for, that they followed, that they believed in. And they took these spices to do this, to simply honor the man that they loved. And we see this. They must have been thinking, it's over. He's dead. 
not sure what to do next. They probably had mixed feelings as they walked to the tomb. They probably had this, this kind of grief and loss, but also this despair. They would have had lost their confidence in what the future looked like. They would have had uncertainty on what they were supposed to do next. And they, they might have been thinking, if he was our hope and now he's no longer here, where do we put our hope? Where does our hope come from? What was God trying to do? They were expecting God to move and they had lost hope in what was going to happen. But they arrived there and something is amiss. We see it. Something is out of sorts. And they would have known that there was a large rock that was covering the grave. They would have known that. But they also would have been expecting Roman guards. The book of Matthew tells us that actually the chief priests and the Pharisees knew what Jesus had said. And they knew that Jesus had said about himself that he was going to raise in three days. So they went to Pilate and told him, hey, this is what's going to happen. And so Pilate responded because they were worried about the disciples going in and stealing the bodies after three days because of what Jesus had say, said. So he sent Roman guards to guard the tomb. But, they sh- but, when the, but when the women show up, they see something different. God has moved in a powerful and mighty way. Mary and Mary Magdalene show up and they find that nothing can stop God from making a way back to his people. The stone, a heavy stone is rolled away. The Roman guards are nowhere to be found. And this is the best army in the world. These are guards that would not have messed up on the job. And they're nowhere to be found. And the tomb is open and the guards are gone and they walk in and the body is gone too. And the two angelic beings are there and they fall on their face and the angels say to this powerful line, why do you look for the living among the dead? And they would have at this moment had this realization of what they remember Jesus saying. And what we find is that in the woman's story, in the women's story, like we find in our own lives, the truths of the Christian faith are not unreasonable, but they are sometimes spiritual realities that cannot be understood with logic and rationality alone. And so we see this. We know that God's word is always going to come to pass. But sometimes, like we see in the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, sometimes we find ourselves faced with what seems like insurmountable circumstances like these women would have. And the women were faced with these circumstances. And maybe because of the overwhelm of the memory, because of the overwhelm of the moment, because of the overwhelm of all that was happening, what, what Jesus had said, they had forgotten. But they remember when the angels tell them, why are you looking for the dead? We obviously aren't in these circumstances like Mary and Mary Magdalene. We aren't in the situations like the disciples, like Joseph, like the witnesses, like all the Jesus followers at the time. But we too will most likely face incredibly hard things in our lives. Maybe this is a season where you find yourself in right now. In these moments, we need to remember the things that Jesus has said about us who choose to be his disciples. We must believe in the word of God and we must believe in the power of God. We must be like Joseph and sometimes we just have to step out in courage and in faith. We have to remember what Jesus told us. He told us so much about ourselves. He told us that we are children of God. He told us that we are called to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel. That we have nothing to fear in death for because of his death and resurrection, we will be with him for eternity. We have no need to be anxious. We have all the riches of God's kingdom that has been given to us and that he's coming back, that he'll be with us. 
And it reminds me of how Jesus taught us at the end of the prayer when he told us to pray this way. It says, for his is the kingdom and the power and the glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. For us who believe in Jesus, to put our hope in Jesus, even in the midst of circumstances that seem too too hard to overcome, that sometimes we just have to step out in courage, to trust that God has the power to overcome any area of our lives if we simply surrender and we simply believe. This is what faith looks like. And I want to end it here. If you listen to this message, if it resonated and you don't yet believe or you've never fully given your life to Christ, I want us to pray. I want us to pray right now. For those of that maybe feel like they've just gone astray, I want you to join me in prayer. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. Lord, to forgive us our sin, to take on the darkness that we deserved. So Jesus, we commit our lives to you. We put away our self-centeredness. We put away all the things that are not of you and we commit our lives to you. Lord, we want to be in relationship with you. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. We put our faith and our trust in you. Lord, we believe in the power of the cross and we believe in the power of the resurrection. Lord, that all we have to do is put our faith in you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if that was you, if you decided to put your faith in Jesus, we want to hear from you. We want to follow up with you because this is the most exciting thing that you could ever experience. And we want to walk alongside you. So you can hit us up at redeem.church. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're a member of the church, we have a ton of exciting stuff happening. Redeem.church slash events. You can see all the lists of all the amazing things that's happening as we start in this new building, as we start at Gravely in Bridgeport with the goal of restoring all things back to him through his presence. We love you and we'll see you next week.